Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, professional host and MC, Misty Campbell. Hey, what you drinking? I'll tell you, I'll tell you, we talk about that a lot, actually. We talk about desire and commitment and, and what is this thing that you're willing to do almost anything in order to protect or achieve. And very often we don't, we don't say out loud plan C, but we all have a plan C that no matter if it comes down to it, before this thing goes the other way, I got options. How how happy are you that you didn't have to go to Plan C? Uh, extremely happy, actually. <laughs> and not only that, extremely happy that I didn't have to go to Plan C, but even more joyous, excited, grateful that Plan A and B worked out in our favor. Mm. So, and I could never have imagined the way it worked out. Wow. So. Okay, so this so we got my, my listeners are like, oh my god, I can't believe this conversation is going in this direction. But I tried to warn you that we were talking to Misty All Purpose Campbell, and you have had conversations like this on your radio show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had conversations like this on you know the show that I co-host uh, where we talk about thinking grow rich. Why is it that? when we start talking about adult topics, whether it's aging parents, whether it's, you know, final arrangements, uh, whether it's sex, that people get nervous. What, what is it about those, those sensitive topics that make people nervous? Well, I think because it's kind of invasive, people feel it's invasive. They feel, um, you know, some things are hush hush behind closed doors. We don't talk about that. And so I think it's just I don't want to say it's an old school of of, of thinking, but, you know, some people just feel that certain things should be private and that, you know, you can't let everybody, you know, know your thoughts or things of that nature. But, you know, that's probably going to change over time because look at Instagram, look at YouTube, look how and we all know sex sales. Right. That's from like 100,000 years ago, sex sales. Right. And so but now you can be half naked on the internet and not be judged like you would like when Playboy came out. I mean, you're going to be judged. Let me put that right. Stop right there. You're going to be judged regardless. But it's a it's a little bit more tolerated, Mm. tolerated to, you know, talk about your sex sexuality or show your body or I mean, even if you look at like people's sexual preferences, like that's gone places as is public as it's ever been now. And, and, you know, and, and I don't want to even get into that topic when you're raising young kids, but I mean, that's where we are, we are now, but I think people are just shy or people might not mind talking about it, maybe with a therapist or in a small group or, mm-hmm. but, you know, to do it like on a radio show, they're like, Oh no, heck, you know, there's no way I'm going to talk about that. And back to my other radio show that I had my podcast, where we talked about relationships 
you know, people have dysfunctions and things in their relationships. And we had a bit for weeks. We talked about uh, infidelity. Hmm. And, um, you know, one guy, he told me, he said, Misty, why can't you focus more on talking about the growth of the black family? And I said, I do talk about the growth of the black family, but a lot of women that I speak to talk to on the show, in person, whatever. These are women who have been cheated on. So it's a topic that we need to discuss because at the end of the day, is monogamy real? You know what I mean? Like, should that be? Should you, you know, and it, 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 this is the thing that, and I'm going to get off my little soapbox in two seconds. This is the thing that trips me out. We can be born into this world. And I say, you're not a twin. You're not a triplet. You're not a sex tuplet. You're born into this world by yourself. You can have two parents. You can have more than one sibling, more than one grandparent, more than one cousin. And we're sharing all these people, right? Even if you think about it in the, in the speaking group we're in, our families have to share us with other people, mm. right? So in every other area of life, we are shared or being shared or sharing. Then there comes this one entity in which we say, nope, put the brakes on it. This one place, it's only this one person. So I can have a mom and a daddy. I can have four grandparents. Like I can have six siblings. That's my soapbox. I'm off now. Mm. Wow. But, you know, again, just again, the fearlessness to go into these areas that most people, if they do go, they go with some some timidity, right? They're, they're nervous and you're just not nervous. You don't appear to be nervous. And, uh, ready now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I love I love the story that you tell about your uh, your deceased son's great grandmother. And she has some Johnny Walker Black. Tell the story about the Johnny Walker Black that was on the table. Oh, my God. So in, infectiously, we called her Ma, M-U. Her name was Ma, like Big Ma, whatever. But her name was Ma, M-U. And so at that time, I had my son at 20. So that's between like the ages of like 18 and after I had my son. So maybe like 25, maybe whenever she passed away or whatever. But when you sat down the table and you just chilling with Mo or whatever, when you sat and she sat at the end of the table in her chair with her bottle of Johnny Walker. And when you sat down, she poured you a glass. Ain't no juice. Wasn't no water. You had to just you didn't necessarily have to take it as a shot, but you had to start drinking. And baby, woof, my chest. Now I'm 18. Like, what in God's name is this? <laughs> Jesus. But you know what? And she told stories and she gave advice and you got all of that. And just and when I tell you the most loving person mm. and she loved my son, just Oh, my God. So unconditionally. And so but that whiskey, honey. You sat down, you was going to drink. And then if the next person come, they going to drink. <laughs> because that's where the stories came from. That's where the stories came from. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that that is what we try to create on this podcast. And uh, so, again, I, I want to get your thoughts, as, I, as I've been asking all of my guests recently, to help me articulate from your perspective the connection between whiskey, jazz, and leadership. And you, you talked a little bit about whiskey. It's, it's really about creating that common bond to, to share stories, right? To make it easier to share stories. Jazz for me is much like how you've gotten into this advocacy space. It's, it's around how do you get from where you are to where you want to be when, when there's no script, 
laid out. There's no sheet music. There, there, there is no book until you write this book. There is no book telling you exactly what to do. And the books you can find don't necessarily speak to your situation, but you've got to get to a certain point by a certain time in key. And then leadership is, could be attributed to what you're saying about self-advocacy. It, it's about how do you get uh, what you need and be the one to take that first step because nothing happens until somebody does something. Or as I like to say, nobody eats unless somebody kills something. So that that's how that metaphor works for me. H- how does that metaphor work for you and how you have navigated life? Okay, so with the jazz, you know, my dad, um, he's like, you know, and it's funny because coming up, like my dad had the parties. I mean, clearly I wasn't there, but I mean, as he was a teenager. He was the guy that had all the best parties. And so, of course, just I think just straight DNA. I was the girl that had all the best parties. But my dad always played music and albums. And um, so I think that the jazz just kind of as a metaphor, you know, sometimes when you're going along in life, because clearly I had another plan. Like, well, well, let me say this. Let me say this. When I graduated high school, I knew I was going to college. I did go to college, actually. (laughs) I started college. But there were still like I was still hurting from my parents divorce when I was five. Now I'm 18. And so the guy I ended up getting pregnant by, um, he seemed seemed. And when I say seemed like a great father, he loved his he had two other girls. He loved his children. You see what I'm saying? Genuinely. And so in my brain, when I had my kids, I wanted them to have a father who genuinely loved them. But now that's my five-year-old self looking at his situation, mm-hmm. not my 25 grown woman, you got responsibility self looking at this person. And so anyway, I got pregnant. But if I knew what I knew now, I would have had like 10 babies at 21 because <laughs> I have two kids now that I had later in life. And, you know, I definitely would have rather been a, a younger mother. But I look at my journey as as so say you com- you're composing a song. And you start writing some notes. Then, you know, a lot of great music is written from experiences. Mm. Well, at that time, I didn't really have enough adult experiences. But as my life was going on, I was writing, like composing my own song. And so just like jazz puts you in a place of, you know, it's like a journey. It kind of takes you away somewhere. And so for me and my choices that I made after I had that particular child. They were a little more thoughtful and I took a little more time and I, I kind of weighed the pros and the cons. And so they, they were more intentional, all of my moves after that. And so, but you know, sometimes you're writing a song and, and you hit a beat that wasn't intentional and it, you know, playback, they're like, oh, what was that? Keep that in there. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's how my life is as far as when you come to when it's jazz, it's like you may not necessarily know what's next. And, and I was saying um, one of my favorite songs is uh, Della Reese did a rendition of That's Life. The, the first words to that song pretty much sums up life. Sometimes you're happy in April and down in May. I mean, <laughs> mm. that's life. And so with that, now, as far as a leader, I've always been a leader personally. 
like I said, in high school, again, once I came out my shell and then because being a follower now, you know what they say, all great leaders know how to follow, but all great leaders also know how to lead. (laughs) So coming up through high school and, and you know what, what I realized is when I was put in leadership positions, I just, I didn't set out to be a leader. Mm-hmm. I was doing what I loved, which opened up opportunities for me to be in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. I wasn't I wasn't setting that up. So and then when I had this son and like I say, I sued the hospital, I then gained employees because I had people coming to my home. Um, I pretty much took him out of school. He was seven or eight when we won this lawsuit. I took him out of school. I created a school for him in our home. I got a teacher. I got therapists. We had care aides. So I probably had about seven to eight employees at any given one time. And that was like true leadership, right? When you have employees. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And one thing I learned about myself as a leader in that time, and my mom, she left her job and came to work for me. Hmm. You know, as a leader, I'm going to tell you this. So before this lawsuit happened, I was working at an insurance company with my mom and one of the major bosses. Now, I didn't hear him say it, but supposedly he said he does he does not like to hire women. Hmm. But I never really heard his reasoning on why he didn't like to hire women. I was just like, oh, how absurd. Then I became a boss and pretty much everybody was a woman on my staff. And then I understood why he didn't like to hire women because women are the major caregivers Hmm. of their families. Hmm. And now they rarely take off if they sit right. Rarely, but they kids sick, they husband sick, they mama sick, they daddy sick. They have so many other responsibilities that may take them away from work. Hmm. I, then I understood. And so as a leader, my mom was, I made her the supervisor because me as a leader, if you can't come to work, I do not care why you cannot come to work. <laughs> Once you tell me you can't come, now my day is altered. Why you can't come is none of my concern, which is why I made my mom the supervisor. So they would talk to her because she kind of cared. So, <laughs> but she was a supervisor at the job she had left to come work for me, but she could feel that role. And so she then in turn would relay to me, relay to me, such and such is not coming in today. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know your grandma, dad, your baby. I don't care about that because now I have to alter myself. And so that's what I was saying. Um, and that sheet you gave me, when you learn things about yourself as a leader, you might not be a good accountant. You might be good with telling people what to do and delegating, but you might not be good with the books. So you got to hire somebody that's good with the books, you know? So you learn things about yourself. Um, I enjoyed um, having employees for the most part. I enjoyed having them. I it provided educational opportunities. I would always tell them this job is going to end one day. You need a plan. You know, so I always offered empowerment classes, whatever they wanted to do, we would pay for so that they could become better leaders in their own right for whatever their journey would take them after working for me. Wow. I mean, that I mean, that is just that's just amazing because you're, you're not only employing people to get a specific task done, but you're concerned about what are they able to do after they leave me? And very often leaders will say, hey, look, if you can't do this, I really don't care why. But they they don't have necessarily the desire to invest in people 
so that they can be successful afterwards. So it's just, it's, it's amazing how everything is coming, is coming together uh, for you, you know, in that best possible way. You know, another thing I wanted to get your, get your, your take on is something that we talked about in our mastermind group and it was the invisible council. And I, I, I call it, you know, an invisible board of directors, but you, you've got some interesting names on your invisible board. Some names that people might recognize, but some names that people might not recognize. And then you've got a few names that people really need to know. They might not know the name, but they need to know them. Talk about who you've put on your invisible board of directors and why. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'll start with the well-known names. Uh, Martha Stewart, Oprah. Um, As somebody who is in broadcasting, who enjoys radio and television and hopes to have my own television show, web TV show, something of that nature. Those are women who have truly taken, taken those avenues to the highest level. So they would definitely be on my board. Uh, T.D. Jakes. I love to meet some T.D. Jakes. T.D. Jakes is a pastor. If you don't know who he is, you can Google him. I love the way he, and speaking of Miss All Purpose, just so you know, I'm an ordained minister as well. But T.D. Jakes, I love how his sermons are motivational and, and how he can think rationally. And that's what I love about his teachings is that if I, if I have an issue of a problem talking to him, he's going he's gonna to bring it down, common sense and rash, make, make it rational. I love one time he said, um, don't make decisions off your emotions. Or don't make decisions when you're emotional just because you might feel one way, but that doesn't mean you're going to make the best decision. Uh, Warren Buffett, of course, finance. Um, I want to know where, you know, what I should be doing with my money. Where should I be putting it? How should I be investing it? Of course, Napoleon Hill, author of one of his books is Think and Grow Rich. I love how he talks about having a desire. And one of my favorites how to transmute sexual energy because you can take your sexual energy and use it to make money. So definitely Napoleon Hill, Harriet Tubman. <laughs> Listen, if you can not only get the passage, figure out the plan, how we going to do this, how we going to do that. And I'm sure she had people on her team, but the, just the audacity to say, we going to be free. Yeah, definitely on my board. Um, Stephen Covey, uh, he he's written a lot of books. I like I like how he talks about having contracts with your kids so that everybody's accountable and holds up to their end of the bargain. And um, I just really love his philosophy on that. Uh, oh, Mr. Wayne Dyer, if you don't know who Wayne Dyer is, the godfather of metaphysical books. Godfather. I had an opportunity to meet him in California at a conference and I got a hug from him. Uh, Wayne Dyer, you know, if you if you think it, you can have it. You know, he has a ton of books. Um, so Wayne Dyer, I have Anne McNeil, Frank Kitchen. They're both a part of the uh, Black National Speakers Association. I just love Anne McNeil because her thrive and her and I actually had an opportunity week before last. I took her to a, a gospel concert with me. I went down to West Palm Beach. So um, but her philosophy and her drive and her you can't stop me attitude. Mm. You're not going to stop me. I have a plan. It just motivates me. And so whenever I get an opportunity to talk to her, she she's another one that says, OK, let's break this down. 
my accountability, Frank Kitchen, who's now a certified speaking professional. Frank and I speak every week in person, but he's definitely on my board because he's somebody that I can be authentic and vulnerable with. You have to have somebody you can be vulnerable with, whatever that ideal is. And lastly, I have uh, Ernest Holmes. Uh, He wrote the book, The Science of the Mind. And he just talks about the interworking of the mind and systems. And everything is a system. Everything is a system. Everything you do is a system. You know, this this show is a system. You know, the pre-show, the actual show, the after show, the editing. And so Ernest Holmes, um, one of his popular books is The Science of the Mind. And just from college, I've always, always loved that book. So that is my invisible and live board. Wow. You know what? So Ann McNeil, if you guys are not familiar with Ann McNeil, you need only double back to the beginning, maybe the middle of season two when I had Ann McNeil on the show. And it was it was one of those moments where I, I was I was embarrassingly quiet because Ann is just so full of amazing insight. And it's not just insight that sounds good. She's actually done it. She's actually used it. She's actually lived those principles. And Frank Kitchen, uh, again, if you don't know Frank Kitchen, you need to know Frank Kitchen. Amazing speaker. He, 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 I think he focuses primarily on like college and students and that kind of thing. But he, he, boy, he's, he's the truth. He's the truth. He is absolutely the truth. And they're just, um, they're just, because you just slipped in there that you're an ordained minister. Yeah. <laughs> you just slipped that in there. So um, I, I think we need to take that conversation into the VIP room because I got to understand how, I mean, you can just speak with such forthrightness, with, with such fearlessness. You can talk about any topic. You can talk about plan C. We're going to call it plan C. And then, and then say, and I'm an ordained minister. So if you need scripture, I got scripture for you too. <laughs> and prayer. And prayer. And we can pray on it. We can pray on it. So the question I'm going to bring to you in the VIP room is how does all of that mix together to create the Mystic Campbell that we have just enjoyed in this conversation? Because th- there's a cocktail there that a lot of people just wouldn't think would turn into this person who's who's such an advocate for caregiving, who is such an advocate for relationships, but yet it works. And so I'm just, I, I really wanna get into that, but I'm gonna save that, I'm gonna save that for the VIP room because we, we've shared enough for free. We've shared enough for free. So uh, in any last, comments, any last words you'd like to share? And how can people get a hold of you if they want to hear more of this for themselves? Okay. Okay. Yes. Thank you for having me. Number one, my last comments are seriously, as far as the caregiving is concerned, or just, even if you're not a caregiver, even if you just have quote unquote, normal kids, um, get your house in order because anything can happen to anybody any day. I mean, literally, you know, we ended up in a pandemic, like somebody saw that coming, but a lot of us did not see that coming. So get your, get your legal house in order. Um, You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, 
and LinkedIn. And, and also my website is CampbellGirlMedia.com. And I'm going to spell that. That's C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. And girl is G-Y-R-L Media. So CampbellGirlMedia.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Miss All Purpose. All right. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, this has been definitely worth my while and i hope you had fun as well uh raise your glass and we're gonna toast out and bring this into the vip room until next time cheers hey it's not too late hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode if you're really enjoying the vibe leave us a review or become a vip for guests and show exclusives cheers This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.